0: And it's Father Toby here in the Cambridge studio with your word for life. And uh, and I want to um, have a go today at reading a book with you. And um, I'm basing this on uh, a, a really sort of successful reading group that we had in my, in my chaplaincy work at, at King's College London, where with a, a reading group, we were reading a, a book by Frederick Christian Bowerschmidt called The, the Love That Is God and uh, and simply somebody would, would read and whenever somebody had a had a question um or a or a comment they would um just just bring that to the to the group and and this book um was a, a source for really fruitful uh conversations and a and a real joy of doing doing theology together like one of the most um enjoyable aspects of my whole chaplaincy work there of which there were were many and so I just want you to invite you today to to listen as i as I read, but if you have a, a question, something doesn't make sense to you at any point, or you want to go a little deeper on something or or hopefully if something in the in the text um just prompts uh, a, a question, um then please do do call in and let us know your, let us know your your thoughts. And so without further ado, let's begin with a a prayer before we start our reading. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. And uh, one thing I should have done before, after inviting you to to call in is to give you the phone number to do so, um, if you haven't memorized it already, which I certainly hadn't, which is why I've just had to look it up. It's 01223 375 564. That's 01223 375 564. And please do call because in, in some ways the the success of, of doing this depends upon um depends upon your reflections and, and your adding to the text and your probing and, and questioning it. So an introduction to the book by Deacon Frederick Christian Bowersmith, The Love That Is God. Being a Christian is difficult. It is difficult because love that goes all the way to the cross is difficult, both to receive and to give. It has always been difficult though at different times and places that difficulty has been felt in different ways. In our own time and place, the post-industrial West, difficulties include those arising from the nature of the modern world that make Christian claims seem incredible, a narrowed understanding of truth, suspicion of traditions, ever-increasing individualism. Difficulties also arise from the failures of Christians, scandals, bigotries, the banal reduction of mystery to moralism, and of morality to modes of social conformity. This book attempts to make the case that the difficulties are worth it. It is worth the difficult labor of piercing through the barriers of our own assumptions and looking beyond the unlovely face that Christians often show to the world, because the fundamental affirmations of Christianity can be a source of love and joy and meaning, even amid the difficulty. And I think these opening words are at least um, consoling to me. Um, somehow there's there's become in our, our times, I think, a, an expectation that that the Christianity is supposed to be easier, and and that the primary job of of uh, of believing is that it should uh, should make should reduce one's difficulties, and then maybe people start to start to doubt whether they're truly in relationship with with God, or doubt whether they even believe, or or, or doubt in their own goodness and the goodness of God when things prove difficult but i think this reiteration by um the author that, that that christianity is difficult um and in fact if we go to the if we go to the gospels and if we go to the the letters of saint paul and john and, and all the other writers we never promised the um the, the taking away of of difficulty but what we are promised is that is that Difficulty and, and and suffering in particular have purpose and, and meaning, and no longer they are, are they futile and the difficulties are worth enduring because what we endure the difficulty for for the sake of is, is, is worth it is truly worth it because that union with God, in spite of difficulty in spite of suffering can be a source of love and joy. So the author goes on. There are, of course, many different ways in, what, in which one might articulate the fundamental affirmations of Christianity. That is more or less what various different creeds try to do. And I don't have any aspiration to replace the traditional creeds of Christianity, which remain an indispensable communal grammar of belief. What I offer here is simply one attempt to speak of Christian faith to people of my time and place, in a way that might convey some of the attractive force of things that lie at the heart of the life and teachings of Jesus. In particular, I wish to show how the claim that the love that is God is crucified love offers us a way to understand how the joys and sorrows of our existence can be enfolded within the eternal love that is our source and i think this is such an important topic for me the the idea that the the love of god is is crucified love because one of the things i often find sort of used as a as a sort of tool to to to, to bludgeon christians is the idea like oh i thought you were supposed to be loving um whenever whenever a christian raises an, an objection to to something or says difficult words or challenges somebody to in their behavior or to you know live in a way which is is more difficult but but they believe more worthwhile there's like i thought you were supposed to be kind um and we are called to be to be kind but we're called to be kind as jesus was kind and his kindness involved harsh words for time to time and it had also involved going to the cross and telling his disciples that they would have to follow him there so in order to be truly Christian we need to we need to look more into this mystery of the the love of God um, but also the the necessary suffering that, that participating in that love of God seems to entail and if this is prompting any thoughts or reflections, or perhaps you want to share something of how you've um, experienced the the love of God even in the midst of of suffering, then then I'd love to hear from you. As I said, the number is zero one two two three three seven five five six four. That's zero one two two three three seven five five six four. And so Deacon Frederick goes on to tell us how the idea for this book arose after he preached a, a sermon where he tried to sketch in five points what he took to be the heart of Christianity. First point, God is love. The second, the love that is God is crucified love. Third, we are called to friendship with the risen Jesus. Fourth, we cannot love God if we do not love each other. And fifth, and we live out our love from the community created by the Spirit. I'm just going to repeat those because I think they're, they're so important and they form the, each one forms the, the basis for one chapter. God is love. The love that is God is crucified love. We are called to friendship with the risen Jesus. We cannot love God if we do not love each other. And we live out our love from the community created by the Spirit. And I think those would be pretty good things to remind ourselves of um, every day. Um, they, They form a valuable creed, I think. Anyway, he goes on. At the end of church, a friend said that she liked the sermon and wished her daughter, who had little time for church, perhaps that situation's familiar with you, wished her daughter, who had little time for church, could have been there to hear it. I began thinking that I wished my own children, members of that same generation of young people who are highly suspicious of Christianity, could have been there to hear it as well. Not that they haven't heard plenty from me over the years. I began to think about how to convey the truth and power that the Christian faith contains to people, whether young or old, who desire a more just and equitable world who seek to live lives of kindness and compassion, who want more from life than simply employment punctuated by entertainment, but who are pretty sure that Christianity has nothing to say to any of those desires. And I think that's a a really, really crucial point that he raises, that the same, if we believe as we do that, that human nature is unchanging, then what saint augustine um said all those years ago o lord our hearts are restless till they rest in thee that same striving uh, those same yearnings are, are present in our in our young people especially and we see young people i think are far more idealistic now than they than they were when i was growing up um but what we as a, a church have failed to do is to to show how the the truths that the church teaches, and most profoundly that entry into relationship with the the God who is love is is what satisfies the the desires that they have the the only answer to the to the goodness that they seek to bring about in the in the world and and that take their take their concepts and and fill them with with something meaningful and something true and and therefore plausible um so sort of don't write off the the idealism of of young people as i i know i can certainly be prone to sometimes but but show them how how all the this good that they yearn for that the the revelation of of god is what satisfies that good and so he says i also wanted to speak a word of encouragement to those who do feel that Christianity has something to say to our deepest desires, but wonder how to articulate what that thing is and I imagine there's a good chance that that, that applies to you. They listen to that that you're you're listening because you you love the Lord, you love what Mary has done for us but but sometimes maybe you you struggle to communicate to to those who who you love you know. Why this uh thing that that matters so much to to you um should also be something that that should matter to to them and you and you don't have the the words and I think the the words in this book are are incredibly useful because first of all they cause us to think about our faith and then we can't really talk about our faith with others until it's become truly personal and that the creed of the church is not something that we repeat, that something that we've entered into. And so he says, Communication is irreducibly mysterious, and its success is often beyond our control. I generally feel that the most important things ever said to me were inadvertent or offhand remarks from the perspective of those who said them. Who can possibly know what the right thing is to say, particularly when one speaks of God. Near the end of his life, following a profound religious experience while celebrating Mass, Thomas Aquinas ceased writing. He is reported to have said when asked why he had ceased his theological labours, All that I have written seems like straw to me compared with what I have seen. As Thomas himself had often said, the inadequacy of human language plagues all attempts to talk about God. But sometimes even our straw can be used by God as tinder upon which the spark of the Spirit can fall. If I can convey some small measure of the joy and truth that lie at the heart of faith, this will not be due to any skill or eloquence on my part, but to the compelling beauty of crucified love. And so I hope you've found that uh that opening um to this book interesting and it's uh, piqued your interest um. Please please do call in uh, with any any comments or questions that you might have. We're going to um. Pause for a a piece of music now and and afterwards I'll I'll return and and we'll uh, we'll commence the the first chapter, which is uh, God is love. Just a reminder that if you wish to call in with a, a question or a reflection, the number is zero one two zero one two three sorry zero one two two three three seven five five six four. That's zero one two two three three seven five five six four. And I'll be back very shortly with our first chapter, God is love. So you were listening there to, um, uh, Henrik Goretsky's um, Symphony Number no. Three, sometimes known as the Symphony of Sorrowful Songs, and and I played that um, because I think it's an, ex- an exquisitely beautiful piece of, of music. I remember the first time I heard it, I was absolutely transfixed, and and I wanted to find more out about it, and um, and when I when I heard the the, the inspiration behind it—it was—it was so moving, and I think gets so profoundly to the the mystery of uh, the crucified God, who is love. Um, because the the symphony has three movements, and the, the first is a fifteenth-century a Polish lament of Mary. Then the second, the the words are, are taken from a, a message written on the wall of a Gestapo cell during World War Two. And the third is a, a Silesian um, folk song of a mother searching for her sons for her son who had been killed by the Germans in the in the Silesian uprisings. And so the first and third are written from the perspective of a parent who's lost a child and the second movement from that of a child separated from a, a parent. Um and so these are exquisitely sad and yet there is something sort of beautiful in the in the faithful characteristic of these laments and of this searching which which speaks to us of the the kind of the profound mystery at the the heart of our faith that that even in in suffering um something of of joy can 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 be there and i know i've found that that experience probably most powerfully brought to me brought home to me by by people I've I've met in, in hospital and who've done so much to strengthen my my faith when I've seen them in the in the midst of, of suffering and still still loving. Um not turned in on themselves, not not bitter, but still still living in, in the love of Jesus. So, we turn now to to chapter to chapter one the The first essay on the on the sort of first of his sort of creedal statements about the the nature of God in the Christian life. God is love. A witty and pugnacious atheist, the late English writer, Christopher Hitchens, once described the statement, "God is love as white noise, a sentimental bit of propaganda designed to trick the simple-minded into thinking that religion is a benign force. This phrase found in the New Testament's first letter of John certainly has been trivialised, ensconced in bubble letters on posters with puppies to induce warm fuzzies. It is also abused by Christians who use it to distract onlookers from the fact that they have their foot planted firmly on someone else's neck or to manipulate people into thinking that some violation of human dignity is being done out of the love of God, and here, sort of he, he gets at the fact that sort of any any statement of Christian faith, any aspect of the the Christian life always seems sort of prone to to abuse um on on, on two on two sides um the the danger of heresy the 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 danger of of sin never just uh never just lies on one side in in the way that sometimes we we might like to to think that it that it does but rather the the truth that that we see in that statement the kind of the the excess of uh of the way that we we understand um that statement is is probably also going to be where our, our danger of falling into sin or our danger of not understanding the the other happens, and so this this statement sort of God is is love, as as he rightly points out, can just be seen as as something sent, senti- sentimental, or it can be seen as a as a cover for for real violence where where anything that i do anything that accords to my will well this is this is loving because i'm christian and and therefore you know whatever whatever i do isn't is in accord with the the love of god he goes on trivialization and abuse can lead us to forget that the claim that god is love is the radical claim of christianity just think about that how many times have you thought recently about The astonishing fact that that Christianity says that not just that love is an attribute of God, but God is love. That's something which we ought to think about every day, but which I confess I, I don't, but I desire to. God is love. This is radical, not simply in the sense of being a shocking or explosive claim, but in the sense of lying at the root, Latin radix, of the Christian faith. In some sense, the entirety of things that Christians believe flows from this claim. It is a belief that distinguished Christianity from much ancient imagining of the divine, whether in the mythological form of tales of the gods or the philosophical form of reflection on the source of universal order. It is anticipated by the ancient Israelite understanding of a God who enters into a covenant with Abraham and his descendants, a covenant grounded in God's steadfast love. But even there, where loving kindness for creation characterizes characterizes God, we find nothing quite as audacious as the claim that God is love. But is this claim credible? The notion that God is love suggests that something of what it means to believe in God can be gleaned from what it means to believe oneself to be loved. That's a really important um, statement there because it, it gets to, to the heart of the fact and, and something which, which surprised me, I, I have to say, that the, the essence of the Christian life is about relationships. Um, I remember reading "Beautiful Encyclical" by by Pope, Pope Benedict, where he said that that Christian faith is is not um first and foremost an ethical decision, but the the result of of an encounter with a person which opens up a new horizon to to life. And I, I confess I found that rather rather shocking because my understanding of faith up until that point. Had really been as a as a morality code, um, you know, in that God had uh, told us what we what we were to do, and that Christian life consisted in doing what God had told us to do, and Jesus, in a sense, had had showed us what that looked like, and and gives us by by sort of grace the um, the. The ability to be able to to do what we could not otherwise have have done, um, but I didn't understand because I hadn't been taught and I hadn't properly engaged with the the scriptures that before any sort of like ways of living before sort of the the, the ethical implications of Christianity that that first and foremost, um, the fundamental sort of aspect of Christian living is to enter into relationship Um, and it's to enter into a loving relationship if God is love. So God is love, but is this claim credible? The notion that God is love suggests that something of what it means to believe in God can be gleaned from what it means to believe oneself to be loved. In discussing what faith is and is not, I often ask the students I teach, whether they believe that their parents love them. This is, of course, a risky strategy, since there is a not insignificant number of people who are unsure whether they are loved by their parents or by anyone for that matter. But at least a few of them will admit that they believe that their parents love them. I then press the case. Would they say that they believe this, or would they say that they know this? Do they believe it in the sense that they believe that LeBron James is the greatest basketball player of all time, or that housing prices will go down? Or do they believe it perhaps in the sense that they believe that George Washington was the first president of the United States, or that energy equals mass times the speed of light squared? We use the word believe in a variety of ways. Sometimes the state of preference or to make a guess about something unknowable, both of which we describe as having an opinion, and at other times to say that we hold fast to what we have learned from someone we judge to be in a position to know, or that we grasp a truth with certainty for ourselves, both of which we typically describe as knowing. Which of these sorts of things is the statement I believe my parents love me more like? It doesn't seem like mere opinion. To say that I believe my parents love me is not like saying, I like the idea of my parents loving me, or I think my parents love me, but I very well might be wrong, who can possibly know? But it also doesn't seem exactly like knowledge. I'm not simply accepting someone's authoritative statement as if I were to say, I accept that my parents love me because 9 out of 10 scientists agree that they do. Nor am I claiming to apprehend something that could not possibly be otherwise, like a mathematical truth. And yet to believe that one is loved by one's parents is at least as fundamental to one's actual being in the world as any number of facts that we would ordinarily claim to know. It's a truth that in a very real sense, we stake our lives on, and so here he's got into a, a really interesting discussion of the the nature of of faith and um and that's something that in our discussions with uh with with people who who don't believe, we often sort of get get criticized for in that they say, oh well, you know faith is faith is blind or faith is 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 un, is unreasonable. Um, but the reality, I would say, is that that most of the really important things in our lives, the the things that give shape and give meaning to our our lives, and the and uh, and say the truths that we live by, are not really things which are are open to um, to scientific in investigation. We live in a we live in a culture which which places a, a premium on the knowledge derived by science. Um, and the knowledge derived by science is good and useful, but there are other forms of knowledge. There are other forms of of belief, which are equally well. In fact, more more important. the The truths that we that we live by, the the love that we experience, and that and that shapes our lives. The the relationships that we we have, and the and the, the trust. That is that is necessary to to properly be in relationship with with others and and that trust is is not naive. Sometimes it's sometimes it's it's uh, you know in relationship with other that that trust is is abused. But yet nonetheless, there were normally good reasons that we had for trusting in that person in in the first place, which makes it so much more hurtful when we're betrayed or let down but we shouldn't fall into the into the trap of thinking that unless um something can be uh scientifically proved then it it's not real knowledge and that and that faith um is is inherently unreasonable or or inherently blind faith is a different type of of knowing to to scientific knowledge but uh, but it is a a a, tr- a true form of knowledge as we will um go on to see um I want to pause once again now for for some music and uh, and I'd love to to hear hear from you any any reflections that you've had on on what we've been discussing that that number um, again to call with any any comments reflections is zero one two two three three seven five five six four Now we're listening to Our God is Love by Hillsong. Please do call with any any comments or or reflections, even just to let me know that you were listening and whether you found the the book interesting in in any way at all, and and whether this is um a reading that I should continue with. This is a bit of an experiment to me to see how this works on on air, so I'd, I'd love to hear from you whether it's it's something to to continue going with. That number is zero one two two three three seven five five six four or you can always um contact us by email um you can send an email to me uh, director at radiomariaengland.uk um you can email me not just about this program but about any others of our programs tell us what you what you love what you think could be improved and just it's always lovely to to hear a little bit about you hello i just wanted to say that <clears throat> god is love yes but a lot of people don't know what love is so the problem still exists when because there are so many misunderstandings and yeah i think that's absolutely true what you said and and one of the the great difficulties of 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 our age is that the the term sort of loved is is bandied a, a, about, um, without actually any real investigation of and, and thought about what what it means and so love often I think gets confused with with sen- with sentiment um, and so the realization that 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 God is is love um, and and our sort of recognition that that love is a is a good thing. I think is a, an invitation in, into into a question of um, well, who is love and, um, and and what is what is love? Does that make sense? It, it still, we need to we need to look at it first. We you know we do we might need to go to uh, to looking at the different ways in which the word love is being used by consumer society by all sorts of other things. I've got to go now. God bless okay thank you thank thank you very much for your call there and i'm sorry somebody else did try to to call and uh i made a a little bit of a a hash of um of getting you on air so my apologies um for that please please do call again and uh and i'll i'll get better at it i promise we we have a um a little bit of a problem in, in the studio at the moment so we're using some new equipment and uh and i wasn't very good on it so my apologies for that so I just want to close um, with a with a prayer as we finish this program, and, and thank you for for listening. And and we will be exploring as we continue with this book the, the different ways that we we use the 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 term um, love sometimes sometimes well, and sometimes um, not so not so well. And to and to use the the word well, and to, to come to know love is to come to know God. And so we finish by giving glory to God as we say, Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen.